Well, as I said, it's great to be here and uh, really love what you're doing in the city as a church. want to honour your pastor, Steve, and how about you put your hands together and acknowledge him tonight for the great work that he's doing. <laughs> so uh, not long after uh, I was married, I found a shirt that I really liked, and I took it home very proud of my purchase, only to discover that my wife was not. Now, how many of us know that, uh, you know, making a choice about clothing is not only personal, but it becomes personal. Especially if other people don't like our choice, we want to dig our heels in. We want to assert that we've actually done the right thing, or is it maybe just me? My choice was my choice, and I called the shirt Burns Orange. <clears throat> my wife called it ugly. <laughs> I thought, though, that to push the point a little, I would wear it as often as possible. See, it really does look good. But she didn't agree. And one day when the pocket tore off the shirt, I don't think she did it, but I went up to her and I said, almost begging that I wanted the shirt repaired, this would be a wonderful opportunity to try out that gleaming sewing machine and as an act of love for her husband to repair the shirt. She said, I've been telling you it's an ugly shirt, you should just throw it in the bin. So no amount of pleading worked, I was forced to fix it myself. And so, to press the point, I did. I got out a tube of liquid nails and I glued it back together. And just when I thought I'd fixed everything, somehow the shirt did mysteriously vanish after all. And I've never got to the bottom of it. But when we have an attitude in life, not just a choice, when it does become a bit emotional or personal and we push our way and what we want, we have to ask, where does that come from? It's a fine line sometimes between self-reliance and self-centeredness, where if our world is about us and our choices, we can dress it up and make it seem as godly and as reasonable as we like. We have to face the fact that our pride, our self-sufficiency, it has a source that's not altogether godly. Fortunately for most of us, it doesn't push to extremes that are particularly unhealthy. It just raises the question. And we see extremes of evil all around us that result from enormous amount of pride and self-sufficiency and people doing what seems right to them and then inflicting their free will and the consequences of it onto people around them. But in the Bible, the source of that kind of thinking is unmistakably the devil. We see in Isaiah chapter 14, a passage in the Old Testament, that there is a famous selection of five statements by the devil himself. It would appear on reading the passage, it's talking about the king of Babylon, but the king of Babylon is channeling the devil under whose influence he operates. We reflect who we choose to give our time and attention to. That's true in earthly relationships. It's true in spiritual ones. It's true that you can reflect God by your free choice. You can reject God if you so choose, but most people don't. They just drift. And in the absence of God, they end up reflecting the devil. 
who was opposed to him. And the king of Babylon reflected the devil, and we know that because in the passage, it talks very clearly of him having fallen from heaven. The king of Babylon, I take it, was never actually in heaven. It's a pointer to the devil, and his five statements are, I will ascend to the heavens. I will establish my throne. I will sit on my throne. I will go beyond the clouds, and I will be like the most high God. The five I wills of the devil are a kind of original statement of evil in the form of pride and rebellion against God. And what's more, we see in Ezekiel 28, a very similar passage, again about a king reflecting the devil, who again is said to have fallen from heaven. And we note the emphasis. He is not enthroned with God. That's just him saying what he wants. It's him forcibly yielding to God, but still rebelling against it. We know when we read the end of the book that the devil loses. He lost at the cross. Jesus died for us, for the sin of the world, and gave a gift, an offer to us to accept him. He rose from the dead, and he conquered the power of death. The devil was defeated. So now he's like a toothless wannabe who tries to afflict us. And the Bible calls him a prowling lion seeking to devour us. He's looking for opportunities to unseat our confidence And yet your life, if it's not surrendered to God, it might not overtly be surrendered to the devil, but because the devil is opposed to God, because he has legal access to the world that came when the first humans surrendered their will to him. It's now that the descendants of Adam and Eve, everyone on the planet, you and I, inherit a nature that is also influenced by the devil and opposed to God. You don't do it on purpose. You don't mean to worship the devil. You're not an occultic uh, kind of person. You're not evil. You're just a person, though, who hasn't ultimately surrendered to the ultimate goodness of a God who's not there to condemn us. He's not there to run us down. He's not there to give us a hard time for the fact of how we're born for this inevitability of our choice to go about doing the wrong thing because it's the way we're wired. Instead, God reaches out with an act of love by sending Jesus to die for us. Jesus, who hung on the cross, was fully God so that he didn't sin. And because he didn't sin, he didn't have to die for himself. But as well as being fully God, he was fully human. That boggles our mind. We can't get our our brain around it. But it's revealed in the Bible that he was fully human by coming to the earth and walking among us so that he could be a substitute in our place. So that in being nailed to the cross, he could take the penalty for sin, no matter how little the evil in us, the influence that would seek to corrupt and undermine us, we might not even think it's our doing. But God took care of it all, and he heaped it onto Jesus, who on a cruel Roman cross died and then rose from the dead three days later to say, I've beaten the devil. 
Put yourself in my hands. Surrender to me. And if he is in the driver's seat of life, logically, he gets to be Lord and calls the shots. And you are a product of the influence you submit to. And I put it to you that tonight, your life, if it hasn't already become one, being a Christian, surrendered to Jesus, it can be. It's a simple fact that you don't become a Christian just by attending church. Think about the logic many speakers have said over the years. You know, it's like going to McDonald's thinking it makes you a hamburger. It's like sitting in a garage and believing you'll be a car. You become a Christian by surrendering your will, by yielding the influence away from the devil who's afflicted humanity right from the beginnings of life for every one of us. In Romans 5.12, it talks about this corrupting power. It mentions it in Psalm 51, where the prayer of David acknowledges he was stained with sin from his birth. But as we yield to Jesus Christ, as he becomes Lord, then all of that changes. And we're not perfect, but when he is Lord, the stain of sin is removed. For me, I became a Christian at the age of 16. And after seeing God at work in miracles through other people, and seeing God's power change other people's lives, I suddenly saw what it could do personally when he came and invaded my life. I lay in bed one night, just contemplating all that I'd seen, all that I'd read in the Bible, and it occurred to me that if I died, I could not be certain where I was going. And you know, I didn't count myself an evil person. I was by all, to all intents and purposes a good person trying to do the right thing. But Ephesians 2, as I read it, left me realizing I was in no doubt that the Bible itself says we can't earn favor with God. It's a gift. And it's a gift given to us so that God can have our heart, so that he can use our gifts, so that we can actually fulfill the very purpose for which you were made. And as I lay there, I prayed a silent prayer to God, but then it troubled me as I woke up the next morning. I hadn't prayed it publicly. I shared a room with my brother and I shook him and said, you've got to wake up. Our eternity depends on this. He's looking at me like, are you sleepwalking or what? And I said, I prayed last night to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord. He brings me now to the Father. I experience the Father's love. He's shaking his head like, what's got into you? I said, I want you to hear my confession of faith. I want you to hear me say that I'm a Christian and I prayed in my brother's hearing. Something got a hold of his heart and he said, I think I better pray that too. I thought this Christian life is easy. He's my first convert. <laughs> I started a journey of wanting to influence other people, but I first had to discover what it meant to move from religion and trying and figuring it out in my own strength and falling over and being troubled and worrying and fearful to a life of relationship with a peace that filled my heart helped me to realize finally that when I die, my heart belongs to God and I know where I'm spending eternity. You know, these five I wills of Satan are like statements of pride, of resistance, of saying what should happen, of declaring what life is to be, and yet Satan was empty in his boasting. I want us to look at a passage now 
And uh, you can just um, kind of follow along in your Bible if you like. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. And it says to us to understand this, that in the latter days there will come times of difficulty. The difficulty that it speaks of, in other translations, it's perilous or hard. We could actually interpret it as days of evil, days like we see around about us. It goes on to say, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents. <coughs> Where did that come from? Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, meaning not caring, unappeased, never satisfied, slanderous, lacking self-control. And it goes on to say that they will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. A big long list of random sins and we could look at that and say, well, I don't do those things. And we could easily make our own justification for actually feeling like we're pretty good. Because if we're not deliberately reflecting the devil, but we're not deliberately reflecting God either, then in whose camp do we belong? Because we're born under the influence of being in a world that was handed to Satan, we need to make a choice from our free will to respond to God. It's the choices of others that have gone before us that bring evil into the world, that even bring evil against us. But it's the choices we make that can give way to evil, no matter how small. And as you give yourself over to God, you're reversing the process. You're handing yourself to Him. You're making a choice to be a lover of God. And no, I have not been perfect all along the way. What I have done sometimes is I've justified why I'm not really all that bad. Imagine a carpet layer, and they're rolling out the carpet in the room, they're nailing it to the tacks around the edges, and there's this one car uh, carpet layer, and he's feeling really good about the job, and he turns around to reward himself with a cigarette. And he can't find the pack of smokes, but what he notices is a bulge in the carpet. He looks around, nobody's watching, takes his hammer and he gives it a whack, flattens it out. Now, are the cigarettes still there? Of course they are. But he's trying by himself to eradicate the problem. He's not fixing anything. And sometimes we've got to get the junk out. We've got to remove from our life the past choices and their influence. You know, there are times when we need to apologize and put something right. Because you're not necessarily given to evil. You're not trying to do the wrong thing. But by an act of your will, the free will that you have, you can choose to do good. You can choose to do not so good. You can choose to give yourself to God who knocks on the door of your heart. And when you invite him in, starts to speak to these things because he's Lord.
And he says, here's something I want you to do. So this passage kind of alludes to some of the forms of evil. When it says in the passage, firstly, that there are difficult times around us, it points to the fact that not all evil is moral evil. It doesn't all come from a choice of us or the people in our lives. Sometimes evil just comes because of the choice of those first humans to let sin into the world. You take, for example, the problems of genetic defects. People suffer with all sorts of diseases and ailments. They didn't invite, they didn't ask for. And it happens through family lines. Some well-meaning people might say, well, someone in your extended family, someone in your past must have done evil for this to come. When we read the book of Job, we see his friends taunting him when he had misfortune. And God comes down on Job's side. It's not because you do the wrong thing. Life just happens. And it's stained with the consequences and the influences of sin, which can affect genetic disease. It can affect weather events. It can affect world crises and problems that we have no power over. God is not punishing you. And even if you've dug your heels in and you resist and resent and, and don't want anything to do with God or Christians, you could be sitting here tonight saying, I'm not a bad person. But it's not about weighing the ledger. It's not about saying I'm 51% good, so I passed the test of life. I'm going to get in when I die. It's instead recognizing there is absolutely no way we can earn favor with God. And what we need to do is to surrender to him. The only antidote to the sin in the world, whether it's affecting you or it's not, whether you're oblivious to it, or you're overwhelmed by it. It is to say, as I surrender to Christ, even though I'm healthy, even though I'm wealthy, even though I'm wise, even though life's going great, you can't earn favor with God, and you need to yield to Him. I think of the evil around about us in another form, and it's the deliberate choice of others. Not just the evil that's in the world, but the evil that comes when people make a choice to do the wrong thing. A lady came to me once, who I pastored, and she was all at sea. She was troubled and unsettled, and she finally plucked up the courage to tell me about having been raped. And it was still only recent, and it was traumatic for her. And she felt that she couldn't say or do anything about it. But by finding a safe person that she could trust, she could open up to, things started to get better. Because naturally, I took it to the police. But I didn't disempower her, I didn't disrespect her. I asked her, would she consider writing her story in a letter that we could take to the police? Because justice needed to be brought. Because there was a God who loved her and cared for her and had a plan for her life. She felt overwhelmed and empowered by this thing that was outside of her control. There was a way out. There was a way forward. She didn't really smile too much. I guess she's still trying to process, is this another person who's going to let me down? But as justice started to outwork itself, the smile came. Saw her shine as a mother, as a friend to others. 
because we don't come out of ourselves and find the joy of community where we can be protected and safeguarded from the effects of evil. The devil knows that if he can keep you isolated and withdrawn and outside of community, your mind will be a field day who plague you with thoughts. And the thoughts that come against you can sometimes attack you from all directions. It's this feeling that we have that when we're going through life that, that the feelings of not being good enough, of things not working out because it's our fault, that when people afflict us and they hurt us and they do things to cause harm, we can think somehow we're at fault. That's not a godly thought. And when you come around people like you're here tonight and you hear the thoughts of people who are friends, who care for you, or are for you and not against you, and they can correct that thinking, maybe help you snap out of it, provide the love, the safety, and the security to vent safely, but to take those thoughts in a healthy direction. Watch and see how you'll grow, how you'll shine. It's as you're isolated, as you withdraw, as you start believing the lies of saying, nobody can fix this, other people don't understand that the problems will intensify. And yet there are some of you here tonight. You've undoubtedly had all sorts of evil afflicted against you. Maybe you're not at the place yet where you can trust somebody with your deepest and darkest secrets, the wounds. But there's a time coming where you can find the place of courage to talk perhaps to a pastor or a trusted friend. And if it doesn't work, there are more such people because we don't just owe it to ourselves, but we need to find the freedom, the freedom that God has intended us to have. Jesus himself said, who the sun sets free is free indeed. If we're plagued with all these thoughts of, of uh, the evil that's come against us, how we've been harmed by others, it's just rattling around in our mind and we can't be free of it, then we're not free. Freedom is about being released to discover the joy of life. I talked to an elderly man who'd been a prisoner of war at the hands of the Nazis. World War II, he'd known a simple life, growing up playing football, cricket, sometimes athletics, and there wasn't really much else other than girls, he said. And he just wanted to kind of be an athlete until the war came. And he thought, that could be exciting. I reckon I'll just find my way overseas and see what adventure lies ahead, not realising what was to come about. So traumatic was his experience, he wouldn't talk about it years after the war. Thin, emaciated, starved, brutally treated, and witnessing all sorts of horrible evil, he talked only in the most general terms to say, I'm still not over it. He was free from the war, but something had a hold on him. I said, how do you cope? He said, it's only through finding God. It's only through knowing that he was prepared to forgive me, that I could forgive others. His way of coping with evil was to recognize that while there's evil around about us, it's that much more personal when it afflicts us, when we live it. And for him, the joy of discovering life in Christ put a smile across his face. 
He's able to look past what happened. Yes, there's still the stain. There's still the effect of the past. It's still there. You know, if you hammer a nail into a piece of wood, you can pull it out, but there will always be that mark. And some of you need to take the nail of offense out. Some of you need to find it in God to summon up the strength with others helping you to get the splinter out that's making you cry out with pain. And the pain may manifest itself in different ways. There are some people who drink to cover it. There are some people who turn to drugs. There are other people who climb the corporate ladder and think if I work really hard, success will come and then I can live with it. One of the most powerful stories was when a man who'd been drinking for 50 years to cover the abuse he'd suffered as a child, the perpetrator now dead. He said, what do I do? I can't even put the guy in jail. I helped him to find the forgiveness of God and it wasn't easy. It took time and he sits there and opens up and then it came to him, not at first, but he said, you know, I've been living imprisoned by the evil done to me by my father. And he's getting emotional as he's saying it. He said, but, he said, there's only one person responsible for the drinking. There's only one person responsible for nearly ruining his marriage because of it. There's only one person responsible for failing to be a good dad to my kids. There's only one person responsible for the mistakes that I make at work because of my alcoholism, and that person is me. And he began a journey to climb back by recognising that while evil is around us, while evil sometimes comes against us, that there is also the third kind, and it's the evil that comes from within. From within, before you meet God, but then even after, as you still give in to the splinters, as you still make your justifications or excuses for the choices that are your responsibility and no one else's. And I'm not here to beat up on you tonight as I wasn't there to beat up on him. It's simply a patient, loving discussion that happens in a community like this that over time gives you the safety and the feeling that it's okay to be vulnerable to the right people and to deal with the problem and the power of your choice. And it might be that for some of you, you've given in just a little to the evil, given in a little to the work of the devil to afflict and undermine you because your choices have hurt other people, because your choices are still doing damage. And maybe there are some dads here tonight. You've been living short of God's standard that he wants for you to be the disciple maker of your kids, for you to patiently and lovingly bring them up, not as miniature adults who can always think for themselves, but to shape critical thinking in them, to help them in a safe place to find and discover what you're cut up about never having had yourself. Redeem the time. 
As it says in Ephesians 5.16, for the days around us are evil. And how do we redeem the evil? How do we turn it back? Redeem the time. Some of you here tonight, and you're starting on a pathway in your younger years through a series of wrong choices, hanging around friends who are a negative influence because it makes you feel good. You're getting the affirmation that maybe you're not getting at home. Some of you making choices that kind of cut across the pathway of school and education that could set you up for your future because you're choosing the easy option that isn't necessarily the right one. There's some people here, maybe your mums today or you want to be a mum and you're kind of even got a bit of fear about what it's going to be like to bring kids up because of what happened to you. How are you dealing with the evil that's come against you? How are you dealing with the evil of others afflicted to you? Can I suggest that yes, evil is around us. Yes, evil comes against us. But we can continue the deceptive work of Satan in bringing the evil to the surface again and again as we meditate on it, on the fear, on what's not working. And instead of finding the freedom that the Son of God offers, we hold back because it's safe to figure it out in our own head first. And I'm going to ask tonight as I close and ask the bands to come up, that as we worship, you consider tonight just in an act of vulnerability pouring out your heart before God. Maybe evil has had its way in you, in your choices, in the choices of others that others have made to you. Maybe some of those choices are afflicting you with a sense of imprisonment and God wants you to be free tonight. So just as a sign of what you're wanting in your heart, how about you lift your hands to God as we worship this evening? How about as we sing you just... Voluntarily surrender to him. Just offer a little prayer as you're singing that God will put the person across your path, the right circumstances, give you the courage to be vulnerable, to be open, because there is a time and a season right now where God wants to redeem the time for you. You know when the Bible says in Luke 13, that one of the Roman rulers had martyred some people to death, when a tower fell on some others, Jesus said it wasn't because of what they'd done wrong. It just happens. Don't be distracted by the evil around. Don't be distracted by the mass shootings, by the wars. The world has brought it all to home through mass media, through the internet. You never used to see those things in previous generations. We're overwhelmed by an enormous amount of anxiety that stirs in us because the world comes to our front door. Sometimes you've got to put the phone to one side. You've got to turn the TV off. You've got to not let yourself be affected by the negative voices, the unhelpful influences around you. You come to Jesus Christ. The Bible is full of its own internal evidence that it is a reliable book. There's evidence of historical accuracy that people have found centuries later. There's historical and archaeological evidence. There's even the evidence from the first century that 500 witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus couldn't be silenced. 
there were writers who were Jews and Romans with no interest in Christianity that could not discredit the resurrection. And so we sit here tonight with a choice. The very real and trustworthy book, the Bible, that gives us a story of the one alone who can be trusted, who was God and came to earth to die for us, gives us a choice. Will we yield to him? Will we honour him with our lives? Will we surrender and allow him to be Lord for us? And tonight you may be a Christian. If you're not experiencing the freedom, I want to pray for you that Jesus would be Lord of your circumstance. Jesus wouldn't just be Lord of your life, but be Lord over each day. Give you the freedom to live with purpose, to live out the life that you were always meant to have, to be able to overcome the evil with good because your eyes are focused outwardly on the things that you can do now, where you can use your gifts and talents and you can live the life God always wanted you to have because your eyes are off yourself, your eyes are off the problems, your eyes are off others, your eyes are off the negative influences and they're fixed heavenward to the God who loves you so much. Would you stand please? I wonder if I could lead you in prayer now. Can you just bow your heads, just close your eyes a moment as I lead you in prayer. I'm gonna hand back to the worship team. I'm gonna ask them if they would take our attention heavenward. Just uh, right now as I pray, maybe a little bit of practice surrendering to God, only if you feel to do it, but to lift your hands, voluntarily say, Jesus, you've arrested my attention. And Jesus, I wanna give my life to you. Lord, I thank you that there are so many people here who've been created in your image and likeness for a life much better than the one they have, much better than what's being experienced at the moment. I want to speak to the addictions and the pain that are kind of a, an unhelpful covering for some of the evil that's been brought against these precious lives that are standing here tonight. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that for each person struggling and finding that difficulty and moving forward in their relationship with you, that you would set them free. I speak tonight against every addiction for it to be broken off the lives and the hearts of people who have yielded to the wrong things, the wrong influence. Lord Jesus, we surrender to you. We choose to stand before you tonight to give you our lives, our hearts. Lord God, would you take us, use us, mould us, shape us to be the people that you would have us be. Start to speak now over this congregation and prophesy that there will be leaders who'd be raised up that others would think we're never going to make it, never going to be likely, never going to be good enough. Lord, you release them from the prison of their minds in the name of Jesus. Cause them to experience the freedom to rise in confidence. Some of you here tonight, God speaking to you about training, studying in the Word of God. You might be doing a university course or still at school. Dig deep in the Word of God. It's the source of faith. It's what builds the hope. Find other people around you who you know are walking with God and crave their influence. Let them, like Paul was to Timothy in the passage we read, let them be ones who can shape and mentor you. Make the right choices with the conscious act of your will. God will do the rest. Father, I pray that you would. I see young men and women here tonight rising up in confidence to serve the Most High God into the nations of the world, into the wider community, to lead people to Christ. 
to share their story, to build the hope of redemption that can see others who are yet not filling these seats come to this place and find Jesus. Lord, I pray for every single person who's not walking with you, who needs to know you as Saviour and Lord, they would yield to you and surrender tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. At the end of the service, I'd love to be able to pray with you. You know, maybe some of you are struggling with pain or sickness and you'd like to receive prayer. Maybe you're struggling with a, a difficult relationship. God can mend us. You're not meant to succumb to the influence that others say is normal or that you feel you deserve. You're meant to live on top and experience what the Bible says, the blessing of God that He provides for you. We want to pray that that's released over your life. If you'd like to commit your life to serving God tonight, if you'd like to take the next step, be bold and vulnerable and come forward at the end of the service. Let us pray and release you to honour God with your life. And if there is some pain, there's something you're struggling with, we have people here tonight who can pray for you. And above all, if you need to surrender your life to Jesus, you need to make Him Lord. Like I did at 16. Don't walk out of this place and think it's going to happen later. There's a line here. Cross it from death to life. Yield to Jesus tonight because He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be your Saviour too. God bless you.